So I won't tell you to close your eyes today because I realized last week I asked you to close your eyes and some of you never opened them up again. <laughs> and I think it works for some of you. If you want to close your eyes, you can. You don't have to. But I would invite you to go back to that beach. That's where I see this happening. The beach on Patmos, the sand, the shore, the sea. You know, it's possible John is in a cave when he sees all this stuff, but I imagine the beach. And so I would like to go back to that beachfront where he has this encounter with the divine, the transcendent, full embodiment of God in the flesh, Jesus. And what he's trying to describe is what, he's, what he sees is indescribable. The language that he's using is obscure, it's metaphorical, it's allegorical, it's, it's, descri it's descriptive. And what he's trying to understand it before him is something that he could not imagine. And there he is, he's on the beach, Christ holding the keys to death and Hades. And Jesus says, write what you see. Write what you see. Well, I, I can imagine John now, is at this point, his, he's trembling, hands shaking, uh, body trembling. He reaches for his satchel, his scrolls, his pen, his quills, and he starts to write furiously, cautiously, carefully, creatively, pastorally, the words that are coming out of him, inspired by Christ. Are these seven crafted letters, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, each unique, we read them a couple weeks ago, each personal, each pastoral, each with a criticism, each with a, a, an encouragement, a validation, seven in total, the number of completion. John is writing to the church all across the known world as much as he's writing to individual churches. And he's furiously, his, his hand is moving as he's gliding across the parchment. And he comes to the end of the seventh letter. And I can imagine John, he, he rests, he breathes. He takes it in, an unexpected day. An unexpected Lord's day. Meeting Jesus, writing the scrolls. Well, from the corner of his eye, he can see something. And at first he can't make it out. It's an obscure vision, something that he's never seen before. It's a simple shape, it's a rectangle, but light is emanating out of it. And, the, and the, there's, a, there's a gravity pulling him towards this rectangle. And as he's looking closer to it, he can see that this large, expansive light rectangle that is enormous in size and, and weight is actually opening. And the trumpet voice that he heard on the beach calls from within, come inside, come. And John slowly makes his way towards this enormous door that's leading him into what he can only understand as heaven. Come in, come in. I think maybe Charles Dickens used this line in the Christmas Carol. Come in, come in, know me better. Come in, come in, 
C.S. Lewis echoes this. Come in, come farther up, come farther in, as Aslan calls in the children to explore Narnia. Here, John is being beckoned into heaven itself. And I can imagine as he's walking towards the gates, the doors of heaven, he's physiologically surrounded by warm air and cool air and light and emotion, and his body is tingling with the sensation, and he passes through the door, and what he sees next, he can't describe. He does his best. He sees a crystal sea. It's moving. It's fixed. It's glass. It's water. It's pure. It's life. It's everywhere, it's nowhere. This crystal sea surrounding this space, shining bright. And somewhere in floating on around are 24 golden thrones encircling. And these thrones are, are they're so bright of gold, they're almost glowing light. And on the thrones are 24 elders, white robes, gold crowns in their heads. And John thinks he's like 24, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, a number of completion, the past and the future encircling in a never-ending present. And the elders' faces are seriously joyful a mix of solemnness and reverence and joy and love and grace. Peaceful, radiating peace. And as he's looking around the circle, he hardly can't believe what's actually at the center. Their eyes are not fixed on him. They're not fixed on the sea. They're pointing into the hub of the circle where there's another throne, radiating color. John tries to, to, ex to explain it to himself that he's looking at jewels and emeralds and sapphires, but I, I think it's because he can't actually grasp what he's looking at. Because on this throne that is emanating light is one seated on the throne, an indescribable presence the source of life itself, emanating creativity, love, grace, justice, mercy. And his, this person sitting on the throne, his, his presence is, is everywhere. He reflects past, present, future, eternity. Yahweh. John says to himself, it's God, Yahweh himself on the throne. And I can only imagine as John is looking at God, he's lost in an eternal now. When you go through the scriptures as a sidebar, you go through the scriptures, it's so quickly to read through it and rush, because we, we do that. 
Sentences have structure, beginning, middle, end. We want to move to the end of the period. If you pause, John's staring at God. How long did he stare at God for? Maybe forever. Who knows? There's this sense of timelessness in this scene, and John is staring at Yahweh on his throne in heaven. And so it's hard to see what comes first, what catches his eye first. But after eternity, John looks and sees that there are four creatures encircling the throne constantly. Indescribable creatures like everything else John is seeing. And he sees that one that looks like the shape of a lion. One that looks the shape of a winged eagle. One that looks the shape of an ox. And one that looks at the shape of with a human face. And these creatures are encircling the throne, endlessly singing praise to the one on the throne, endlessly validating the one on the throne, the creatures of creation itself, constantly, perpetually in praise, validation. Holy, 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 holy is the one who sits on the throne, the was, the is, the coming. Holy, holy, holy. And as they do this, the elders are in a constant perpetual motion of validating their validation. And the scene is indescribably perfect and beautiful. But the one seated on the throne is holding something. And it takes a while for John to make out what it is. It's a scroll. A scroll in his hand. And it's sealed with seven seals. And John, as a a very well-seasoned man, knows that a, a, a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne is a royal decree. This is an an incredibly important scroll. John has a sense that there's an imminence to this scroll, that it's weighted, it's heavy, it's important, it's of consequence. Why else would Yahweh be holding it? And he feels anticipation. What does it mean? What does it do? Where is it going? What's going to happen? And an angel calls out, is there anyone who can unseal the scroll. And the angel's voice echoes, reverberating across the thrones of the elders, cascading across the sea. The words of the angels pass through time to the entire universe. It's a cosmic question who can unseal the scroll? And there's no reply. No one on the 12 or the 24 thrones answers. None of the four beasts answer. None of the angelic hosts surrounding answer. No one on heaven and earth answers the call to the angel. Who can unseal the scroll? And as time goes on and John is waiting and listening for someone to take the scroll from from, from the one seated on the throne, he realizes there's no one who has the right. No one is worthy to grab this throne, to this scroll. 
And he becomes overwhelmed with grief and fear. And the anticipation that he has begins to erode. And he's filled with dread. And he begins to cry. And his tears begin to pour off his face and he begins to weep. Who will answer this? What, is, what happens next? As if time and the whole arc of creation stops. The angel says, don't be afraid. John, tears in his eyes, weeping. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, the Lion of Judah. John begins to turn his head, and before he can turn his head, he can hear in this quiet hall the, the scuffling of hooves, a lumbering kind of imbalanced clop across the marble floors of heaven. And as his face and his neck make point, he sees in all of this, he, he looks through the beasts, they're, they're not making the sound. He looks past the elders, they're not making this sound. There's, there's no lion present. All that there is is this small lamb, lumberingly, ladenly, off-balanced, walking towards the throne. A lamb, slain, bleeding, hurt, but alive. And the lamb quietly makes its way towards the throne. And John watches as the one seated on the throne kneels down and gives the scroll to the lamb. And the lamb takes it in its hoof-paw hand and moves a little bit farther away. And as, it, as the lamb does, the entire chorus of heaven shouts out in song, Worthy is this lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who can unseal the scroll. The elders, the beasts, the angelic, millions upon millions of voices in this boisterous song. The slain lamb takes the scroll and I imagine it unsealing it with its mouth. Peels off the first seal. And a voice from this room shouts, come out. And from the scroll, from the seal, out comes a white horse. Valiant, strong, brave, muscles pulsing. And on the back of this horse is a victorious rider with a garland around its neck. Bejeweled, bedazzled, strong. It's been given victory. It's a horse of victory, a triumphant, victorious, marching horse, and it gallops across the universe. The lamb reaches down and unpeels the second scroll. Come out! 
a red horse emerges from the scroll. A sword on the rider's hand. Violence in its eye. It's been given the authority to kill, to spread violence across the world, and the rider rides off into the universe. The third seal, the lamb rips, come out. A black horse emerges from the scroll, and on its back is death, Hades. The rider is death itself with scales in its hand, and it's going out into the world with the authority to wreak havoc and hunger. The lamb reaches down the fourth seal, rips it, come out. A fourth horse emerges, it's sickly and pale and green. Death itself, a corpse of a rider is on its back and it is the embodiment of plague and death and it has the authority to wipe out a quarter of the world's population and it rides off into the universe. The lamb reaches down the fifth seal, peels it off, and the dead emerge. All those who had died on the count of the lamb are made present. The sixth seal the lamb rips, and heaven and earth begin to shake. And the earth begins to quake. And the stars in the sky begin to shake and shimmer, and fall. And fear is cracked open across the entire world. And the kings and the princes and the queens rush for cover. And they're shouting, no, be afraid of the day of wrath, the one sitting on the throne. The whole world is coming undone. And these riders are running rampant. And fear has gripped the entire world land and then the lamb reaches down peels off the seventh seal and there's silence the entire universe is silent Who is worthy to hold the scroll? The lamb. Who is worthy to unseal the scroll? The lamb. As John is watching, I, I doubt he knows what he's looking at. But there's a sense of past to what he's beholding. This isn't something that's going to happen. This is something that has already happened. John can remember on the beach that it is Jesus embodied, transcendent, divine, fully God, fully man, God in the flesh, incarnate, who says, I hold the keys to death and Hades. I am the first and the last. I am now. I am past. I am future. I am and when John sees this unfolding of the unsealing of the scrolls, there's a sense that this has already happened. 
that the I am has let, permitted, allowed these things to take place. That the victorious horse is the valiant empire on the earth. John senses that this victorious uh, rider has been given, he's been allowed time and space to conquer. But when that rider conquers, blood always spills. The rider can't be conquering without violence. He cannot conquer without blood. The red horse follows, but naturally the black horse follows because death follows in its wake. And disease and hunger and famine follow in this victorious paths, this victorious horse's wake. John knows this. He sees this. He's seen this across Rome time and time and time again. And he's now beginning to see that his friends, his kin, his family, his church, his ecclesia, is now falling into the hands of these four horsemen. And he knows there's an imminence to this day of wrath and judgment, and yet the lamb unseals the final scroll, and it's silent. Who has the authority to unseal this? The slain lamb. Not a victorious conqueror. Not a beast from the sea. Not a dragon with scales and fire and power. A meek, gentle, slain lamb. Jesus. It's Jesus. At this point, I won't infer where John is thinking. But in this moment, I cannot imagine that he doesn't feel anything but complete overwhelm. That the guy he followed and toured around Galilee with and went on these missions trips with and saw dead and come back to life is actually the one who holds time and space and creation in his hands. And he does so not as a conqueror, not as a killer, not as a, a violent, angry God, but a gentle lamb. So in our life, no hermeneutics. I'm not going to tell you what that means. Read it at home. Slowly put yourself there and watch the lamb in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that You are nothing like we could expect. That you're nothing like we could write up or imagine. That it takes these enormously divine meetings, encounters with people like John to see something, to shift our paradigm, to give us new insight into who you are, and more importantly, who you're not. 
As Jesus, I thank you that as the, the dragon of this story is lurking, waiting for a moment to pounce, that you are nothing like the dragon. That your authority is actually gentle and meek, forgiving, forbearing. It's just, it's kind, it's merciful, it's honest, it's true. It's harsh, but it is love. And we thank you that you are the slain lamb worthy. And so we ask that you would speak to us this week, that your spirit would guide us as we infer meaning, as we understand, as we interact with each other, as we, and as we celebrate. We thank you for you in, these, in, the, in this day, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.